You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Kathy Govier, Chief Marketing and Communications Officer at Jeppy Family Enterprises, a global leader in the area of comics, toys, games, and collectibles. We are going to have some fun today, obviously. Kathy, welcome to the show. Hi, Laura. Thank you so much for having me here today. I am, I'm very excited to be part of your show. I'm looking forward to hearing some stories about fun industries because, you know, it's all industries are work, no matter what your role is, and all industries have fun. But we spend so much time talking about healthcare and IT and all these kinds of things. It's rare that we get to talk within an industry that's all about helping other people have fun. So I'm excited to see where this goes today. Yes, me too. Me too. <laughs> So tell us a little bit about Jeppy Family and excuse me, Enterprises. What's your 30-second elevator pitch? Sure. So Jeppy um, is a leader in the worldwide distribution, licensing, publishing, manufacturing, grading, auctioning, and preservation of, like you said, comics, games, toys, and other collectibles. So super fun. We have a portfolio of dozens of companies, brands, and websites that serve both consumers and other businesses. So we're both B2B and B2C. We have two companies that are probably our most well-known. The first is going to be Diamond Comic Distributors. And just like it sounds, we distribute comic books from brands like Marvel, Image, Dark Horse, and Boom to local comic shops all over the world. And another company that your listeners might have heard of is Alliance Game Distributors, another very descriptive name. And with Alliance, we distribute games, so, but tabletop games. So think Pokemon cards, Dungeons and Dragons, things like that. And in my role as Chief Marketing Communications Officer, I'm responsible for marketing communications enterprise-wide. I work with a variety of stakeholders internally and externally. I've got my peers in the leadership team, the founder of our company, Steve Jeppy, who's an incredible character if you ever get the chance to meet him, other employees, my team, and then externally with publishers, retailers, creators, and fans. Great. I could just imagine how many people out there who are either very open or otherwise keep very private that they still love games like Dungeons and Dragons and have been doing it for yes. 25, 30 years or more, whose ears just perked up. Ooh, wait a minute. Yes, this, exactly. Oh, I, I want to know more about this one. They're going to pay more attention to this episode than they've ever paid attention in their entire lives. So. Exactly. This That's great. <laughs> That's great. We'll give them a good show. I promise. <laughs> yes, no doubt. No doubt. Now, what's your favorite part of your job and why? There are so many aspects of my job that I love. I mean, in addition to it just being super fun to be able to, to work with all these kinds of incredible fans and creators, one of the things is really how I am able to approach my role. So I like to think of myself as more of a general manager who uses marketing communications as my tools. And so, you know, what do I mean by that? I mean, I am approaching the business from a broad perspective and I really work to connect the dots between what my team does and the impact that it has on achieving our larger corporate objectives. Nice. So for example, 
we are launching a new product right now. I can't tell you quite yet what it is, but we will. Teaser, teaser, teaser. Okay. So everybody else has to keep tuning in. Follow Kathy on social media. We'll tell you how to do that later because you're going to want to be the first to know. That's right. Continue. Or or you can come to San Diego Comic-Con in July in San Diego, of course. And that's where we will be launching it. You can come by the Diamond Comics booth at San Diego Comic-Con. But you know, we're not just involved in the traditional positioning and messaging and advertising campaign of the launch, which is the very traditional marketing lane. I'm actually involved in guiding the development of the product so that we can make sure we're taking things like the customer journey into account so that ultimately we develop a product that better resonates with the intended audience straight out of the gate. So that broad purview into the organization as a whole is something that I absolutely love. From top to bottom strategy. Top to bottom strategy. Yes. And if I have time for one more, I could share one. Yes, of course, please. So the other thing, and you probably got a sense of it from when I was talking about what our company does, and it's the variety of what we mm. what we do. You know, it keeps me on my toes and it always is keeping communication style top of mind because we have so many different stakeholders that we are communicating with. If I have my Diamond Comics hat on, I might be working with a publisher on promoting a new title that they have coming out. And so I've got to think about, okay, we're promoting it to retailers who are going to buy it. And then we're promoting the fans who are going to buy it from the retailer. So different messaging for the different audiences. Or I could be working with Hakes, our auction house, and providing messaging on how they're going to attract prospective consigners, people who have all those treasures in their house and they're thinking about selling them on the secondary market. Or I could be wearing my straight up communications hat and making sure that we are communicating key messages internally, externally to media. Um, There's just, there's a lot of variety in what I do and I love it. It's great. Super fun. It just occurred to me as you're talking that you've got all of these different products from comic books to tabletop games to collectibles, et cetera. How many of the games and comic books and things do you actually have to explore yourself? How many have you played? Like what percentage of the products and series and whatnot that your company promotes or supports, perhaps is a better word, have you actually played, read, experimented with? Obviously, you can't be a total fan of every, fan's not the right word, but a devoted player and ongoing whatnot of everything. There's too many, not enough hours in the day, but how many have you played with? What percent? I've probably read more of the books than I have played of the games. Okay. You know, we have an event every year called Free Comic Book Day. And so I read all of those comics before they go out to market. How many would that be? Are we talking 10, 100, 1,000? So that's about 50. Okay. That's a lot of comic books. I give you credit. You that's That's commitment. It is. I mean, they're all great stories. You know, it's so it's so fun to just, it's such a, an incredible company that we get to work with these creators and publishers and just get involved in the stories and the storytelling and the passionate fans. Like, especially when you hear about things like San Diego Comic-Con. I mean, talk about a passionate fan base. Yes. Wow. And then the games, you know, I'll play whatever comes my way. When we have events with retailers, we have a game night. And so I will try my hand at something, you know, I'll play a card game. I'll try to play things like Pokemon. And I mean, I grew up with Dungeons and Dragons around my house all the time. So that role playing and those strategy kind of games are, they're super fun. 
Yes. Okay. So now everybody's going, oh, I want to be Kathy when I grow up. I want to get paid to read comic books and play Dungeons and Dragons. Like, where was the college major for that? I don't remember seeing that on the list. That's not fair. I got gypped. So now we know. Okay. I have to go work for, for Kathy, work for Jeppy Family Enterprises. Yes, and you exactly. too can find a way to have reading comic books or playing Dungeons and Dragons be part of your job. Yes. Perhaps not official description, but uh, somewhere working in, I'm guessing there's a lot of- There's uh, some work, you know, thrown in here and there. So <laughs> that's, that's good to now there's a little bit of balance right now what's something that's going on you mentioned obviously comic-con is, is a big annual event but what's something new and exciting or otherwise important that's happening in the industry and how do you have to adjust your messaging when you're talking to different key stakeholder groups about it okay so something that's happened especially during the last couple of years when people were isolated in their homes during covid shutdowns is they started paying attention to these collections of treasures that they have in their home and collecting has exploded. Hmm. And so we've seen we've seen things like the first comic book that features Captain America going for more than $3 million. Oh my gosh. In the secondary market. Yeah. $3 million. Wow. Or you see things like a vintage video game. Like there was a Super Mario Brothers video game that went for over $2 million. Oh my goodness. You just And so you, you find yourself sitting around looking around your house going, what do I have? That might work. Yeah, everybody's going through the, they have nothing else to do when they can't leave the house. So they're going through their closets, through the basements, thinking, all right, how do I clean this out? The attic, what don't I need anymore? What can I sell? That's, I can imagine this, that would be an interesting opportunity for there to be a giant resurgence in the time to clean out my house experience. Exactly, 100%. And so while it's exciting, it can be a, a bit almost off-putting for maybe a new collector because it sounds so unattainable, mm. you know? So from a messaging perspective, if I'm going to talk to a collector or a potential collector, the collector curious, as I like to call them, I want to highlight what's impressive because that's what makes it fun. But I also want to help maybe the new collector, the collector curious, understand that there are many different ways to collect. So if I'm a collector a new collector, I would want to understand how can I build a collection and what can be a collection? And do I have to find the rarest, the most expensive, the most valuable? You do not. And I want to make sure they understand that they can build any kind of collection. It could be a collection of books with blue covers or a collection of large print books. And how would I start if I wanted to collect? And so I would be telling them to visit their local comic shop and make a introduction to the owner or the manager and build that relationship and talk to them about potentially connecting. And of course, if they didn't know where to find their local comic shop, I would direct them to comicshoplocator.com. Shameless plug. That is one of our, <laughs> one of our brands, one of our websites. And then if I'm transitioning to the highly informed hardcore collector, they're really more interested in, you know, preserving their collection and grading their collection. You might've heard about how some people will get their comic books or their action figures or their toys graded and then sealed in these acrylic cases. So they're safe, mm. you know, so I'm talking to them about how to do those things. They already know where to find them. So it's, how do you take care of them? How do you value them? How do you then potentially sell them in the secondary market and bring them to one of our auction houses like cakes? Interesting. Yeah. It, you know, it's funny. I just had a flashback to, did you ever watch the big bang theory? Yes. There was a great episode where I think Penny had bought Leonard and Sheldon, a collectible from Star Trek, the Spock in a time machine, something or other. And uh -huh. Sheldon ended up 
unable to resist the urge to play with it because he and so he opened his box and yeah. of course then it ruins the value once you've yeah. broken the seal quite literally so that was yes uh, it's amazing the difference that that can change in what someone will pay for the exact same toy just with i know tape or no tape i know and you know and it depends on how rare it is and you know i sit on some of these planning calls especially with our auction house and the nerding out on you know, <laughs> the star wars action figure i am so impressed they are great podcast guests, speaking of, because they are the experts and they are so passionate about what they, yes. these products. And I just enjoy sitting in on the calls and, and helping them however I can from a communications and a marketing perspective, but it's awesome. No, it's incredible. I mean, I want to go back to something you said before, and this is morbid curiosity. I'm not going to want to know the answer to this, but I can't help myself but ask the question. You mentioned a vintage Mario Brothers game that went for $2 million. How old does vintage mean when we're talking Mario Brothers? I don't think you want me to answer that question. I, uh, you know what? Just go ahead. Just I'm sitting down. I'm going to brace myself. I've got my coffee here. Let me have it. I actually don't know the exact year. So let's just guess, you know, just 80s. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that I, I'm so not ready for my childhood to well. be considered vintage yet. That's just painful. But I do remember playing. Was that, was that Atari? Was that the first platform that had Mario Brothers? I can't even remember which platform. It, it could have been Atari. It could have been uh, Nintendo. Oh, that sounds more right. Right, right, right. Nintendo. Yeah. Oh, goodness gracious. Okay. I got to move yeah. on. Next topic. This is just going to make me sad. So, Kathy, <sighs> tell me something you're really good at with regard to communications and something you wish you were better at. I think I'm pretty good at having some tough, uncomfortable conversations, particularly around performance. So the way I will manage those is I start them off by saying, you know, I want to talk to you about something and it might be a little uncomfortable, but it's important. So I just acknowledge out of the gate that this could be uncomfortable, not only for me, but for the listener, for the person on the other side of the conversation. And then I just dive in. And so making it up, I'll say, you know, I get the sense that you're not as engaged in this project as I need you to be, or I really needed that report on Friday. And we agreed that you were going to deliver on Friday. Can you help me understand why you didn't get it done as you promised and why you didn't let me know? For me, it's important that the person that I'm having those conversations with understands that I'm having those conversations with them because I'm on their side, because I know that they can meet the expectations that I have of their role and in that position. Of course, if they can't, that's a different uncomfortable conversation that we can have sure. at another time. But I'm approaching it from truly the perspective that feedback is a gift and people cannot fix what you don't tell them is wrong. So yeah, I just dive into them. I just, I find that you don't do anybody any favors if you don't have those conversations. Agreed. Agreed. And you're only going to let a problem fester at that point and most likely get worse from there. So not so much fun. And thank you for the suggestion about how to, uh, in how to approach, yeah. how to open those conversations. Those are great suggestions. And what is something you're still working on? So I tend to think out loud. I am kind of that, the classic Myers-Briggs ENTJ. Okay. And one of the bullet points that they always tell the ENTJs is, you think out loud. Hmm. So you need to let people know. And so again, it's something that I will make sure that I'm actually acknowledging, you know, so I'm just thinking out loud here because especially when you're in a leadership role, you know, people could be looking at you and thinking, is this a decision? Is she deciding what we're going to do? And I'm not necessarily, I'm just, I'm thinking out loud and I'm brainstorming and I'm throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. So I find that I have to make sure that I'm acknowledging 
that for people. And it's a constant. I do it, have to do it constantly and remind myself sometimes. And, and, and when I don't do it is there's confusion. Yes. So. Yes. It's not hint dropping. It's no. when you're trying to work things out right. for yourself or looking for even feedback or input, or you're using other people as a sounding board just to see what resonates with them. It's, it's just part of an idea. It's not a, a final item. And I'm very much, I'm an ENTP. Uh, I would love to be a little bit more J. My life would be so much more smoother if I were a bit more organized on those fronts. But nevertheless, the, yes, just the thinking out loud and using other people as a sounding board is so much more comfortable and interesting and fun. I want to know what other people's thoughts are. So I can see where when you're running a larger team that people need to know what your intention is by stating. So can you give us an example of what's something that without prefacing, you might say that other people would misinterpret as a directive, but actually isn't? You know, something as simple as, well, maybe we should consider, maybe we should implement a shared email inbox. We had a problem recently where we have a lot of information that funnels to an individual. And when that individual maybe is out of the office, then that information that is very timely and deadline-driven doesn't necessarily get disseminated to the people who need it. And so that's a bit of a bottleneck. And so, you know, there are lots of ways that you could fix that bottleneck, but I might be thinking of the different ways and say, well, I think we should have a shared inbox and that everybody can have access to. And that may be the best answer, but it may not be. So hmm. you just have to make sure that people understand that I don't have all of the answers. And, you know, I am fortunate that I work with some tremendous experts at what they do. So I definitely want to lean into their expertise and their opinions and their thoughts and make sure that it's a collaborative process and that they understand that I'm thinking out loud. Let's figure it out together. That's a really important skill that a lot of people don't have. And, and that's that kind of narration that letting people know, by the way, this is just me thinking out loud. That's a metacognitive process where you're letting people know, here's how my brain is working. Here's what I am thinking. Here's the intention behind my words. To have that kind of personal insight is something that so many people don't realize, A, they don't have it in the first place to the particularly developed level, and B, they don't realize it's necessary because it's unconscious for most people. The thinking about how you think right. or being able to articulate your own thought processes in a way where you can clearly identify right. and label them is a real depth of ability that is great when you find a leader who has it because it just helps to make everything so much more transparent and allows a lot more access to your actual intentions and your desires beneath it. So to everybody else out there, that metacognitive processing, if you've never thought about it before, that's great. Or it's actually metalinguistic awareness, being able to say, when I talk, my words are intended to do X. So this is my, you know, talk about geeking out before. This is my geek out moment. So, you know, my PhD has to come in useful eventually. So here's the I moment. love it. I love being able to put the name to the the task or the process, you know, that's fantastic. Yes. So everybody that those of you who are leaders or aspire to being leaders, to be able to get clear on and label and articulate for to the point where others can identify it, uh, what your thought processes are and how you're communicating through them. That's an incredible powerhouse skill set to have. So go back and take some notes on this last section here. I think that's great. I know I'm going to have to watch this episode over and over just to get that. <laughs> that's a skill I'm working on. So, you know, I continue to work on it. No, I think it's terrific. So now we've talked a little bit about the ability to shift between the new collectors and the, the 
experienced collectors and those kinds of groups. Are there other kinds of groups that you've had to learn to shift your communication approach to be able to really connect with effectively? Yeah. When I think about this, there are a couple of different ways that I could approach this question. And so one of the ways that I want to do it is talking about career progression and how there comes a point as you advance in your career where you, where success no longer comes from what you do. Success comes from helping others to succeed. And it's that whole idea of what got you here won't get you there. And that is a challenging shift for those of us who have built their career on being a doer and the go-to to get things done. But so that pivot requires a shift, not only in mindset, but also in communication style. For example, we have an event in the fall. We've had an industry event in the fall called Halloween Comic Fest. And due to COVID, we haven't had the event for a couple of years. And so now we're starting to think, how can we evolve this event? It's always been focused on Halloween. Is that the right focus? Could it be something else? And so instead of me running lead and dictating exactly how we're going to approach it and what we're going to do and when we're going to do it, it really becomes more of a conversation and an opportunity for people on my team to start thinking it through. And so my job becomes setting kind of the overall goals maybe, and then asking for their input. So what do you think we need to do? How do you think we should approach this? And it's collaborative, which is who I am at my core, the thinking out loud. And it helps others get the same experiences that I was fortunate enough to get in my career from leaders and managers who helped me grow and develop. And, you know, more often than not, you're going to get ideas and approaches that you hadn't even thought of, you know? Yes. Agreed. 100%. And now, so let's shift a little bit into influence challenge. This is your chance, Kathy, to speak directly to our audience and uh, give everybody a challenge, one step that they can take within 24 hours to help themselves have more influence. How would you like to challenge our listeners today? Okay, so this is something that was recommended to me by somebody. And I think as we present ourselves professionally, publicly in the business world, this is something that I think everybody can and should do. And that is get some recommendations on LinkedIn. Mm. So I know I fell into this trap as I had some recommendations on LinkedIn, but they were from ages ago, like when I first started on LinkedIn. So my challenge to listeners is to reach out to your close connections on LinkedIn, people you've worked with, people you've worked for, and ask for some strong recommendations. Do not be shy with your descriptors. You want a strong, you want glowing recommendation. And this is really going to help you elevate yourself when people are looking at your LinkedIn, whether you're looking for a job or not. You know, you've got recruiters, you've got hiring managers, you've got maybe board chairs, depending on what your aspirations are, looking at your LinkedIn and reading those recommendations. So it helps increase your influence in the cohort of people that they're looking at and stand out from a crowd if you've got some recent kind of glowing recommendations and you get the chance to review them before you post them. So don't worry. You can even ask for edits if you want to, if you're comfortable. So that's my challenge. Reach out, you know, think of it as a a party. If you invite 10 people to a party, you might only get five to show up. So, you know, don't expect everybody to jump at the chance to do it, 
So ask more people than you would need and work on getting one or two. Yes, yes. LinkedIn recommendations, I think people really underestimate the value that they have. And you may not feel like it matters now, but if you're at some point looking for a new job, that's something people will use to vet you, new prospective employers or recruiters. If you're a business owner or an independent consultant or contractor of some sort, people are going to want to know if others are happy with the work that you've done for them or what it's like to work with you. And a tip for those of you out there, especially those who are contractors, consultants, etc., if you can get a client to write a recommendation for you, ask them to talk more about themselves than to talk about you. So instead of saying something like, oh, Laura was great as a coach because she did this and she was that and she had great insights and she was super effective and she was really, talk about you. I worked with Laura and in six months I got this and I learned so much about myself. I was so comfortable working with her because people who read it are reading it because they want to know what their experience with you is going to be like. So they will see themselves in the shoes or the seat or the keyboard as the case may be of the author of the recommendation. So they're actually more interested in the recommender than they are in what they've written about you. So the more they focus on themselves, which is very counterintuitive, right? but often people really, they're willing to write a recommendation. They're just not always sure where to start or how much to write or wherever. So there's that fear of the blinking cursor on a blank page, not just it stares at you and taunts you, like where do you even begin? So if you just say, give them a suggestion, like give me two or three sentences that each address some value that you got out of working with me or something that you appreciated in our work together or something along those lines describing your experience. Don't worry about talking about me so much. That will be implicit, if not explicit, in what you share. So anything along those lines can make people's lives easier, give them those parameters and it makes for a much more effective recommendation. And I'll add on top of that, for those who are generous in the quantity of what they write, put the two or three most important things up top, like in the first three or four lines, because on a LinkedIn recommendation, it will only initially show the first three or four lines, and then there'll be the little dot, 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 and the link to read more. And people have to be inspired by what's in those first three or four lines to be willing to click to read more. So as people in uh, media will say, don't bury the lead. You don't want to give lots of background and, well, we were looking for help on doing these kinds of things. And we've tried so many other consultants and we really didn't know where to look. And so blah, blah, blah. by the time they got to why they picked you, it's what's called below the fold, below that dot, 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 click to read more, put the best stuff up top and then go from there. That's great. I love all those recommendations. Super helpful. It's funny because you think, oh, recommendation, how big of a deal should that be? Like anything else, like writing a headline, like an elevator pitch, there's an art right. and a science to it. Sure. And little details can make a big difference. Yep. So everybody, all right, you've got your instructions. Kathy has given them to you. A few little tips and tricks from me. Go get three people to write your LinkedIn recommendations. And here's a thought, more tip as far as how to get more people to say yes and do it. Offer to write one for them in return. People are much more willing to do it, especially if you write it first or agree to, you know, ask to reciprocate and then you comply with your request and finish it first. 
And then people will say, oh, gosh, she did it for me. I better let me go get on that real quick and write hers back. So it just is a little extra sugar on the trail. Absolutely. And it encourages them to get, can then encourage them to get from others as well. Yes. Yes. When people see what's done and and plus it just is a nice little bit of social capital as it were to show some generosity on your part that you've written one for them as well. Yes. Okay. Now, so those are some success stories we have. We've also made some mistakes along the way. So what's a communication related mistake that you've made? And if you could have had a do over, what would it sound like? So this is kind of a communication tick more than anything else. Okay. So it was pointed out to me by a former manager when I was giving a presentation to our division that I would laugh mm. and when I, I was nervous and I would make a statement and then I would laugh. And she was explaining to me how it kind of threw her yeah. when it happened. And so it derailed what I was saying. It undermined what I was saying. And that was an uncomfortable conversation that I had with her because you don't want to hear that. You know, you want to think that you did a great job and you, and you got through it and you covered all the points and you, but to hear that you have this thing that you do that you're not even aware of and that it's derailing what you say. Yeah. It undermines your authority at that point when the gravitas of the topic, the importance, the serious, the weight, and then there's a laughter, a giggle of some sort, that nervous tick at the end, the contrast is too stark and it's confusing to the listener. Exactly. Like if a surgeon were presenting you with some grave news and then laughed at the end of it, you'd be like, what? What? (laughs) Yeah, that would be definitely unfortunate to say the least. Yeah. So I have spent years trying to manage this tick and I have tapped on accountability partners when I am presenting. I'll put them in the front row and we'll have some sort of visual cue if I do it. It's in the back of my mind, always thinking about don't laugh. I have literally written post-it notes that say don't laugh Mm. and post it on my computer in this virtual environment. It's something that I am forever mindful of. And I believe that I have come a long way and my nervous laughter it was something actually that I even addressed with you before this podcast. I said, so this is something that I have a tendency to do when I get nervous. And if I do it, please point it out to me and, and I will do my best to not do it again. So it's always something that I'm thinking through and I'm not letting it overtake my thought process and I'm not overthinking it, but I am aware of it and working hard to not do it. And I think one of the keys that you mentioned in there is when there's something that you're doing that you don't realize that you're doing it. And this is why it's important to have one of the many reasons why it's important to have trust within your team, within your organization, because especially when you're the boss, there are a lot of people who may notice it, but won't feel like it's their place right, to give you that kind of feedback. So how it's so important to have that trust where you know you're not going to shoot the messenger if they come to you and they say, gee, you know, Kathy, how did you find out that you did it? How did she bring it up to you? And who was it again who drew your attention? So this was a former manager of mine. Okay. And she talked to me after the presentation and she kind of did what I do when it comes to difficult conversations. She said, I want to talk to you about something and it's important, but it might be a little awkward, you know? So, yeah. And she just told me, you Sometimes after you make a statement, when you're presenting, when you're nervous, you laugh. Yes. And I was like, what are you talking about? Mm. I don't do that. And then, but of course I did. So I took the feedback in as a true champ and worked really hard to change it. And that's all the more reason why video in today's world is so great, because even when you're on Zoom or somewhere else, you could very easily take your phone and turn on the audio recorder or the, your video camera and just record yourself 
you know, without anybody else's knowing so that you can go back later on and watch your own performance. No, you're not going to post it. You're not going to share it. No one else is going to see it. But just to be able to go back and watch, because exactly what you said is what most people will do. They're going to say, oh, well, I, I don't do that. I feel like, and I always tell my clients, whether I'm doing one-on-one executive coaching or doing team trainings, that no one escapes the video camera. You have to record yourself and we need to be able to look at it together because I can't coach you until you see and hear what I see and hear. Because if I just give you some constructive feedback and you know tell you something I think we need to work on, your brain's going to immediately go into what I like to call deny and defend mode. Like, oh, no, 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 Laura, you just, it's because, you know, we're in insurance or we're in asset management and you're not that, you know, you're not a finance person or you're not a this, that you don't understand what I'm, what I was trying to do. You don't understand my audience. And I'm going, it doesn't really matter what you think you were trying to do. I'm telling you what you did. I'm telling you what I heard. I'm telling you what you said. I'm telling you what I saw. And there's this wall of deniability when there's no video there, when there's no actual evidence. But man, when you see that video of yourself, three seconds, it doesn't have to be long. The video camera doesn't lie. It is your best friend who has absolutely no filter or tact. It will tell you exactly what happened. And when you can see it for yourself, it's like, all right, we are now super clear on what was effective, what wasn't, and what needs to change. So it's a great tool so, to make sure that you have a lot fewer of those moments that Kathy just described. 100%. Okay. Then, Kathy, this has been great. Tell us Advice to future generations. If you were asked to give the commencement address at a high school graduation ceremony, what advice would you give the graduates regardless of the next phase of their lives? What's the one thing they have to do to be successful? So what I would say is, you know, there's been a lot of talk about work-life balance. And I would advise, depending on what they want to do, that they need to think about work-life balance over the long term. So versus work-life balance every single day. Mm. And, you know, what I mean by that is when you look at an Olympic athlete, for example, they didn't become an Olympian by striving for balance. They became an Olympian because they were laser focused on practicing every day, all day, hours a day. And that's not balance, but they achieved that goal. And they're not going to be at that level forever. They're going to achieve that goal. And then there can be a little more balance over the course of time. So, My advice would be, don't be afraid of diving in and committing yourself to whatever task or goal you have. Don't let the conversations of you have to have balance derail you. You will get balance. You just might not have it today. Yes. it's. I forget who it was who said you can have it all, just not all at the same time. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Words of wisdom. Kathy, Tell us how people can learn more about you and Jeppy Family Enterprises. So they can visit jeppyfamilyenterprises.com and learn all about our fabulous companies. And they can connect with me on LinkedIn, which is a quick and easy way to go. Kathy Govier, look me up, connect, and let's chat. That sounds great. And of course, we'll put all the uh, links and whatnot in the show notes. So be sure to check there and learn out. And when you do reach out to Kathy on LinkedIn, please make sure to include a little introductory note with a sentence or two, just telling her that this is where where you heard her and why you want to connect. That's, for me at least, that's always helpful. So I know how they know of me, right? What would just stumble upon and, and what did you like? So great feedback to get. Kathy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Laura. It was a pleasure. I really had a good time. Thank you. 
and everybody else. Thank you so much for tuning in once again. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or your platform of choice so we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, of course, if you'd like to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sakola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.